Okay. I think we're going to start with some meditation. So find a comfortable position for sitting. You know, just sit for maybe, I don't know, 20, 25, 20 minutes, something like that, maybe 30. So we want to start by really just checking in with the body, noticing how it feels. There are lots of different suggestions on how we might position the body, but my experience is that the main thing is that our spine is relatively straight. And if you've had other suggestions that you find helpful, then by all means, follow those. You know, like having your hands folded in your lap or on your tongue to the roof of your mouth or having your chin level with the floor, those kinds of things to just give us maybe more than anything a chance to really check in on different parts of the body and see how they're doing. And if there needs to be a bit of an adjustment to the posture, this is the right time to do it. I feel like it really helps to have an attitude of kindness towards the body. And have that suggestion in the mind that now we're sitting to meditate. This is a, a sacred act coming into a sacred space inside ourselves. And see if it feels natural to bring your attention to your breathing. Along with the suggestion to establish mindfulness. And what does that mean? You want to be present, observing first the body and the breath.
breathe in and we are aware that we're breathing in. We breathe out and we're aware that we're breathing out. And it can be very helpful to bring attention to the top of the head, for example, and notice any tightness. As we scan down a little bit, any tightness around the eyes, the jaw. And it can be helpful to take a very conscious breath in and then when you breathe out to really have the idea of letting go, letting go of that tension. Letting go of any, any doubts or concerns, am I doing this right or anything else that might be in the back of the mind just Maybe saying to ourselves, now's the time to just set everything aside and let go. Noticing the shoulders, letting them relax. the arms and hands. The chest and the back. And you'll find usually it's easier to have that feeling of relaxing than letting go on the out breath. Bringing attention to the belly, letting it relax. Legs and the feet. Can we notice if our breathing is shallow or deep? Paying attention to each in-breath and each out-breath. And however the breath is, is fine. Just observe. 
And like everything else in this world, the breath will change. And that's fine. We want to be very relaxed, but we also want to be alert. So if you feel a bit drowsy or dull, then put a little more attention on the in-breath, bringing in fresh energy, lightness, enthusiasm. If there is agitation or restlessness, then pay more attention to the out-breath. Letting go, relaxing, releasing. Smiling. And as we're aware of the breath, we can kind of open our sort of space of awareness to take the whole body in at one time. It's kind of like the breath is coming in and filling the whole body. Filling the body with breath energy. The Buddha instructed that we should be aware of the whole body, breathing in and breathing out, and calm the body. It's 
So with our previous preparation, this should be a natural step. When the body is relatively calm and the attention is on the breath, then we probably will start feeling some pleasant feeling in the body. Just that experience of being mindful brings a sense of ease and calm, pleasant feeling. And the Buddha said, pay attention to or notice whatever pleasant feeling arises. Warmth or tingling, fullness, maybe the subtlest sense of joy, or maybe something much more obvious, apparent. Whatever comes, the attention's on the happiness, the joy. It comes with meditation as we turn inwards, letting go of the world. Still aware of each in-breath and each out-breath. Feeling joy and happiness. Piti and sukha. In whatever form they come. And then we bring our attention to our thoughts. Maybe right now the mind is very calm. And thoughts come slowly. Or maybe not. Maybe there's a lot going on in the mind. And we observe with kindness, 
with patience, aware of our in-breath and out-breath. We encourage the thought process to become more calm, more peaceful, knowing that right now there's nothing that we need to do other than be present, happy, contented. This is not a time when we try to get rid of the thoughts. Just invite peace and calm, comfort, comforting the mind. The same awareness that's observing the breath is observing the thoughts in the mind. That awareness itself has no agitation, it has no agenda just to be present. As you observe the breath, you don't have to think about it. You can just feel it. You can feel what it feels like to breathe in. You feel what it feels like to breathe out. We don't need that layer of verbal labeling. We can just invite the mind to become happy and still.
Go sit after we calm the thoughts in the mind. We look at the mind itself, the mood, the state. Again, we're not trying to change it or become dissatisfied with it, just observing. Just observing this mind free and open, relaxed and calm, spacious, is it contracted and tight, agitated? Does it have any sense of desire or will inside? Or is it at peace? Not wanting anything, not wanting to get rid of anything. Without hindrances. So whatever you find there, there's nothing wrong. It's just how it is. We can invite the mind to become more happy, more elevated. Perhaps bringing in thoughts that are inspiring and beautiful. Like a reflection on the Buddha. Buddha Nisati. The Dhamma. The Enlightened Sangha. Turning our attention towards Nirvana.
Now, instead of ringing the bell, I'm going to give you the option to just stay in this meditative state or to really come out and either way being present and I'll share some thoughts about Dhamma. Basically, I think I want to talk about observing, being aware, and bringing our attention to some things that maybe we usually aren't so aware of that we take for granted. But it's helpful to investigate, to question. And for the purpose of letting go of some of the, the weight we carry that we may be unaware of. So as many of you know, last week we talked about discernment, really looking at the wholesome and the unwholesome in all of our experience. And I put a lot of attention on a particular issue of gender discrimination. And one thing that can come out of reflecting on the ways in which we as human beings are labeled or label others or label situations or um, or even our physical appearance or whatever categorizing, uh, discriminating, is that we can look more deeply into those concepts. Now, I often mention this sutta, and I think I did last week too, the, called the Vaseta Sutta in the Majjhima Nikaya. It's also found in the Sutta Nipata. And it's interesting to me um, when I look at Bhikkhu Bodhi's course on the Majjhima Nikaya, he doesn't cover this one. I find that interesting because I think it, it's a little challenging. Maybe it doesn't seem so important. I don't know. I haven't talked to him about why that is. Maybe he had a whole class on it in some other context. <laughs> Maybe he thought it was really important. I'm not sure. But in this sutta, these two young men of the Brahmin caste were having a disagreement about what really makes you a Brahmin. And you know, the Buddha really kind of redefined what it means to be a Brahmin. So he's talking about those qualities and actions that make us noble. And 
it's not dependent. Well, this argument was about whether or not it's dependent on lineage, birth, or it's dependent on our actions. So the Buddha answers the question by talking about those things that distinguish living beings based on their birth. And he, taught, he goes through um, lots of different kinds of living beings and talks about how, you know, four-footed or no-footed animals, uh, living beings, there's a distinction there based on birth. Like you can tell um, that a cow is a cow based on its birth and the a dog is a dog based on its birth, and a snake is a snake based on its birth. But he says when it comes to human beings, there's nothing about their bodies um, or their what they come in with because of their birth that really is worth distinguishing when it gets down to like every part of the body and our color and our hair and our eyes and you know, even our genitals, so it doesn't matter what gender or, um, and, and in one translation, even ways of mating, which is actually true to the poly, but not usually translated that way. So these are some things that we strongly identify with usually in ourselves. <clears throat> and of course it goes beyond that. All the kinds of things that we take to be our characteristics that we identify with. I'm this way, or I'm that way. Um, and some of it we're happy with, and some of it we're not happy with. And I was thinking of trying a little um, exercise. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm just going to ask you to think of one quality that you would say you have. Just anything. <coughs> you got one? <laughs> I did this with um, Ayachitananda and Anagarka Sarane yesterday. And if I'm not really, we all, we each picked a quality that we feel we have. So, Kyle, the exercise is to think of a quality that you have. Whatever. That you, you know, I'm like this. And when the three of us did it, <coughs> excuse me, when the three of us did it, it was interesting because the qualities we chose could could be beneficial or not. It, either way, it could go either way. I think my quality was particular. <laughs> I can be <laughs> a little particular. <laughs> and, um, and what's interesting about these qualities that we you know, see as part of our identity is that they change. 
and also that they're kind of a trap. Like, <clears throat> if we think, well, I'm a grumpy person, then, you know, how does that affect us? Or if we think I'm a happy person, and then, of course, we're not going to be happy all the time. We're not going to be grumpy all the time either. <laughs> so, so it's, we can, like, carry a certain amount of weight and not even know it by having these things we identify with. And, and maybe not even really feeling our full potential to change. To not to not be that way. Sometimes we, we kind of carry these labels that maybe someone else told us we have. <laughs> it can be a real bummer. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and um, and also there's a strong tendency for us to kind of lean in the direction that we think people believe about us. Ajahn Brahm has a couple of stories. If you listen much to his talks that he tells, has told frequently about experiments where, you know, you divide a group of young students up and put them in the A group and the B group, but they're actually divided very, like, um, evenly balanced across their, what's perceived as their abilities, and then Sure enough, by the end of the term, the B group is doing much worse than the A group. And it's all in our mind. You know, so we do these things to ourselves, too, without knowing. And whatever quality you just thought of, you know, is this something that's helping? Helping you develop and grow and become happier and more free? Or is it something that might be limiting the more you believe in it. So part of this talk is really don't believe, don't believe what you think. <laughs> and don't really necessarily believe what other people think of you either. And you know, it's interesting to me to see some of the things that more and more people are questioning that have traditionally, at least in my experience, seemed pretty much taken for granted. And one of those is the idea of gender. So um, I listened back to the talk from last week, partly because there was a bit of a flurry <laughs> around it. And uh, that was interesting. Um, and, you know, it's very much focused on men and women. But we encounter more and more people who are really questioning that whole idea of gender identity. And there's really a very beautiful tendency. I don't think I've ever seen it talked about in the suttas, but I think from various traditions, you get this sense that as people become more and more enlightened, they're less and less identified with their gender. So there's there's a, a a kind of a moving beyond that question of gender and all the stuff that comes with it. So this really this really you know if we look at the process and practice in the Dhamma, 
as fundamentally being based in our presence, in our, in our awareness, in our observing. And that, you know, even in the Nyanapanasati instructions that the Buddha gave, which is basically what I was working with in the guided meditation, the Buddha says, first you observe, you observe the body. You observe, and then, and then, you know, invite it to relax. You observe the thoughts. You, know, you observe the feelings. I just forgot that part. <laughs> you observe the thoughts. You observe the mind. You know, fundamentally, it's first about bringing awareness to whatever it is. So when we start to support each other and being, and support ourselves and being aware of you know, what are these fundamental ideas that I've held all of this time in my life, maybe for lifetimes? What does it look like if I question, if I just observe? And what do we want to observe? You know, we want to observe the results. What is what, are, what does this contribute to? Is this making me happier, more peaceful, more generous, more kind, more open, more patient, um, more compassionate, less attached, less caught up in me and mine, in this whole becoming being kind of process. And so this is like, you know, what's really, what does it really mean for something to be wholesome or unwholesome? You know, it has to do with the results. Does it bring us to more peace? Or does it bring us away from? So we look at something as basic as the five precepts, and it's definitely more peaceful to live by the five precepts. We're more peaceful when we're not harming others or ourselves. We're more peaceful when our minds are clear and we're not intoxicated. We're more trustworthy. We can be still and the mind can be at peace. So when we, when we are bold enough, courageous enough to really question those ideas that we may hold as absolute, we have an opportunity to really gain something. more freedom from the labels, more freedom from being, you know, discriminating against others, more open to real diversity. And maybe through that, we also have more of a sense of what we hold in common which I think is much more our spiritual selves, if you 
more, if you will, <laughs> or spiritual non-selves, I guess. You know, and and really, um, really allowing, and instead of seeing something different or people holding something in a different way and reacting with what probably comes out of fear and discomfort, you know, some negativity or judgment, stepping back and observing. Because when we observe, we're not trying to change it. We're not trying to get rid of it. I listened to a talk by Ajahn Sumedho that he just gave a few days ago, where, and the title is, We Don't Get Rid of Our Personality. And it was all about this kind of like, we need to observe, you know, he was, Ajahn Sumedho has been saying a lot of these things for a long time, and finally maybe they're sinking in, <laughs> but, you know, he, he talked about, you know, when we when we observe something in ourselves with with being with observing with being aware we're just being aware and we're not trying to get rid of something so you know when we see something that we want to change it doesn't help to go at it aggressively with negativity trying to squash it you know that's the that's the suppression side, that's the aggressive side. It's much more useful to first observe it, like in the Anapanasati Sutta, and then invite it. Let's have an intention that what's negative, harmful, downpulling, unwholesome, that we just veer away from it. We don't, we don't feed it, we don't stoke that fire. We let it die. You know, in that, in that simile that I tend to love so much about the bonfire with those, I think it's actually like seven loads of wood on it or something. And Buddha said, you know, you just keep, if you keep throwing dry grass and dry cow dung, which I don't know if you have access to, but <laughs> onto the fire, twigs, um, you know, it just keeps going. And if you stop doing that, then it dies down. But he doesn't say, get out the fire hose, you know, you know, he's, he's, it's, it's much more subtle and effective, really, um, to just stop feeding what's not helpful. So we have some neighbors up in the mountains. About neighbors. <laughs> Talk about neighbors, we've got some flowing action going on out there. Sorry. Um, so we have some neighbors up in the mountains that are um, such a young crowd with, um, you know, all these, they're, they're building, you know, cob houses and, you know, they're doing all kinds of progressive, kind of cool stuff. And um, there's a couple and they had a baby. And of course, uh, one of their one of their the other guys that lives in the group in that area in the, on that plot of land came by and you know we were chatting and I said so is it a boy or a girl? And he's like I don't know. They're gonna let Remy figure it out later. 
<laughs> I'm like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and we can look at what does this do for us? Or what is ha what happens in our mind when we're presented with approaches we're not used to? What do we do with that? And that can tell us a lot about what we're clinging to and what we're afraid of. So those are just some thoughts for your reflection. And um, I'd be happy to hear anything you'd like to say about it or not. No pressure. You can just observe if you want. Did I miss any important points that you want to put in? Anybody? Are any questions or complaints? Kyle? I just want to say that I'm very grateful for this talk and I feel uh, so safe as uh, someone who's non-binary and uh, it just makes me feel uh, a lot of joy and um, gratitude. Um, and I could really resonate with this idea of uh, grasping towards something or like trying to push away a part of our personality. Um, for me, in my, in my journey, it's been this, uh, there's been a liberation in becoming non-binary, uh, uh, uncovering my non-binary-ishness, right? There's this, uh, before there was this grasping towards like what the world wanted me to be, like uh, masculinity and and that was very uh, daunting, you know. There was there was a lot of unrest, and um, and when I figured out who I was, there was this release, there was this peace, there was this non-grasping. I could be whoever I wanted to be, shop wherever I wanted to shop, and there was this um, yeah, like this liberation. And it comes back to that uh, feeling of like what's ultimately leading us to that peace um, and being our true selves. I think. Uh, is start being aware of that yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I think yeah. there's something here that's important. I mean, I've heard I've heard some people like there's one um, Buddhist teacher that I'm thinking of that's very highly regarded, and I actually love them quite a lot. And They've been very frustrated with some of these ideas of what people, especially people in uh, kind of uh, not standing in the hegemony, um, you know, are, are struggling with and, and feeling like, hey, they should just get over it and get rid of their identity and let it all go. You know, that's what we really need to do. And it's like, but that isn't the path <clears throat> to that. Uh, that we can take, um, and for someone who's, you know, standing in the space of the hegemony, to say that kind of comes across. <laughs> you, know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, 
how can we develop the empathy and the tolerance and, and the and the camaraderie in making it a better world and then transcending this whole mess. <laughs> so that's kind of where where I'm seeing it right now and I think um, there's a whole lot of space that I feel like I still need to grow into in this understanding. Um, but this is the Thank you for those thoughts. Kamatana? Thank you, Aya. Um, <laughs> I'm going to talk about um, some a couple of personal things, and if I get a, a little emotional, please excuse me. It's just uh, it's uh, something that you know I've uh, I struggled with with most of my life. Um, you know, I've this this idea of gender um, has been um, you know has been in kind of a, a question for me ever since I was really young. Uh, you know, it's not. I I have this this uh, trait where I just want to fit in with everybody else. Like I want to belong. You know, and um, you know, there there was a lot of uh, you know. I came out to a couple of people when I was young. People found out, and there was a lot of rejection. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm like, okay, so people don't like this. They don't agree with it. So I've got to get rid of it. So I can be acceptable to others. Um, so, it, you know, it kind of created this idea that, that this is not who I want to be. This is not, this is not, this is not good. And I, I've tried, I, I've tried to get rid of this. I've tried to drink it away. I've tried to drug it away. I've tried to, uh, there was even uh, some more serious um, um, activity to, to get rid of this. And, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, I, I kind of realized that, you know, all this, this, this intense conflict within myself is just, I'm trying to get rid of who I am. I'm trying to get rid of me. And it's just, I can't, you know, and this idea, uh, you know, I've been, uh, you know, con thinking about, you know, just kind of uh, just giving it up again. And, and uh, you know, reverting back to an older personality, or you know, my, who I was before I transitioned. Um, you know, and and the the thing with, with me is that it that scares me, like I because I don't want to deal with that conflict any, anymore. It was such it was so difficult just to come to terms with with this that you know, like it or not. You know, I ultimately I have to live within my own skin. I have to choose to be happy, and you know. So, my my point is is that, um, you know, trying to suppress or push this away or get rid of creates more conflict with than than just like okay, this is the way it is. Whether I like it or whether anybody else likes it or not, this is just the way it is. And everything t t tends to settle down a little bit. So, you know, I don't, uh, 
so that you know that that question is is this more peaceful or is this does this more give more conflict you know it's something i've been thinking about here here lately and it's like well this tends to be a little bit more peaceful it's a little bit easier it's a lighter a little bit more open well then let's just stay with you know just yeah yeah i'm i'm <laughs> hope i'm not rambling on but uh uh thank you for letting me share and you can keep it on recording it's fine <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it, Anna, because I'm sure you're not alone. And it's what I'm hoping is that you find more and more people who just are willing to accept you for the wonderful person you are. Mm -hmm. And that the whole gender thing doesn't really matter. I mean, one of the things I like about monastic life, like even in in Thailand, when you fill out certain forms, at least I've seen this on forms, when they ask for gender, there's male, female, and monastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, monastic, like, hey, we got the, the you know, every gender kind of outfit. <laughs> and you got the every gender haircut. <laughs> You know, you got like you're focused on something else. Yeah. You're not focused on like who can I meet with and who can I, you know, yeah. like any of that. And so yeah. there's there's at least an example in the world yeah. of something different, yeah. and that there are lots of other ways to be different too from those stereotypical rigid gender roles and gender identity and maybe other kinds of roles and identity. You know, based on other characteristics that the world wants to fix into place in order to, to what? Feel more comfortable or have more order or have more power in some sense. And, you know, hopefully everyone, all of us who are kind of on a different track, <laughs> you know, like wanting to really explore what's important. So the sutta I talked about, I love the, I hope you read it, uh, number 98 in the Majjhima Nikaya, and I hope you can find it in the Vikki Bodhi's version from 2009, because that's got, the, I think, the more correct translation. Um, and it's, there's a, a lot of verses at the end about what makes us noble. Mm. I can tell you, none of it has to do with gender. <laughs> um, none of it has to do with all of those other things that people are so severely criticized for or um, put down over. And there, there's, I thought I'd read a little bit to you. It's, there, it's in the middle of um, a whole bunch of other things that he talks about that brings nobility to a human being. And it's really awakening, it's full awakening. So, and I see a book opening, it's on page 804, 804 if you've got the book. It's, and I'm just gonna start on verse 44 and just read a few of these verses. And this, it, the refrain is, this is who I call Roman. And of course, we got to remember that he's dealing with this caste system, 
and some of its harsh, harsh, harsh realities. And trying to help people drop mm -hmm. this idea that you are born into a, a position in life that you cannot change and that we're harmed by it even if we happen to be at what society considers the top. And we don't realize it as much there. We're more blinded by it there. Um, but I'm just going to start on verse 44. Who pure as the spotless moon is clear and limpid, and in whom delight and being have been destroyed. And then, um, unfortunately, Bhikkhu Bodhi's version has he here. He is the one they call a Brahmin. If you read Bhante Sujato, he'll say they. And that's where I'm going next. <laughs> <laughs> Who has passed beyond the swamp, the mire, samsara, all delusion? who has crossed to the further shore and meditates within the jhanas, is unperturbed and unperplexed, attain nirvana through no clinging. They are one I call upon. Who has abandoned central pleasures and wanders here in homelessness with sense desires and being destroyed. They are one I call upon. Who has abandoned craving too and wanders here in homelessness with craving and being both destroyed? They are what I call a Brahman. Who leaves behind all human bonds and has cast off the bonds of heaven, detached from all bonds everywhere? They are what I call a Brahman. And I picked out those verses. I mean, there's a whole bunch before that about the the morality of such a person. Um, let's see, I'm sure the generosity. You're going to get to read it yourself. So we'll see. The lack of anger, etc. And then these ones it, where he says, delight and being have, be, have been destroyed. So not that craving, but he, he goes for delight and with sense, sense desires and being destroyed, craving and being both destroyed. You know, that we're letting go of this sense of self and we're letting go of our cravings and our requirements for comfort in life. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't be comfortable. It just means can we pry our fingers off of our attachments <laughs> and be free because of it? And more open and gracious and compassionate and kind. Somebody asked me about how to bring up the compassion and the kindness when we were talking about letting go of some very serious stuff. It's happening in their life, and and, um, and they said, I just don't know how to bring up this compassion and kindness. And they said, I think that's going to happen naturally as you let go of the stuff you're clinging to. And I do think that's how it works. Yes, Grace. Uh, I guess it's not so much a question as. Um, the metaphor of the fire and not laying on tinder and kindling to it, 
to me, it feels, in my experience, it feels a little incomplete, actually, because I think the fire goes out when I'm not just not adding stuff to it. It's when I really love that part of me. Um, and I think that applies with gender, like in our household that I share with Kyle. Um, I feel like gender is a toy that we can pick up and put down. And I feel like that happened because when I brought up the idea that maybe I'm not cisgender with Kyle, Kyle was so loving and accepting. And that really allowed me to love that part of myself too and to put it down. And I think that applies to other defilements that I have, that when I shared it with Kyle, Kyle was so loving and accepting and that helped me put them down. And to the point now where I'm starting to practice doing that for myself has been a very, very rich practice. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yeah. And to be fair to the Buddha, I think he was talking about things like anger, you know, and, and yes. The, the loving acceptance so so valuable yes um, yeah. <laughs> thank you um, thank you for yeah everyone thank you for sharing um, Yeah, I was thinking about gender. I've been thinking a lot about it as I, I deepen my practice and like the form and formlessness and everything in between that of this practice. And um, on that same note of what Grace just beautifully um, shared, um, this part of me that um, sometimes feels really um, in tune or joyful of um, identifying as a woman. And I had like some aversion to that um, sometimes because I was like, oh, am I not, uh, you know, moving towards the practice if I'm so like experiencing so much joy sometimes by this um, identity. Um, and, and then sometimes also feeling a lot of joy with this formlessness or um, non-binary identity as well. And feeling confused a lot as well. Um, and I appreciated this talk because, um, and what Grace just shared, because it made me realize that um, it's okay that I, like loving this part of me that sometimes really loves being like a, a woman or identifying that way. And then also loving the part of me that doesn't um, and doesn't identify or feels no, nothing around yeah. it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was like, cause I, yeah, I, sometimes I guess I have the thought like, oh, am I not moving towards the practices if I'm clinging to this identity or I feel um, like all of my identities and then none of them. 
um, all at the same time. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that felt really um, like supportive and kind to be able to move like towards it with love and and kindness. Like, oh yeah, sometimes I really feel a joy in in this identity, and that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's such an important point because. And, you know, it's like when we talk about something in a certain way, it can give the impression that, well, then you're not doing the right thing if you're not on board with that. And that's yeah. not the point. The point, I mean, I also um, really enjoy being a woman. Uh, enjoy is kind of a funny word, <laughs> but identifying with the qualities that are often associated with the feminine, which we can identify with regardless of what gender we, we physically have. Yeah. Or the male qualities that are so beautiful that we or we identify as male and and you know those those qualities really what are they you know like kindness compassion strength courage bravery um, boldness whatever it is whatever we we think and the point being are the things we're identifying with are they helping mm. or not. And when they're not, look at that and see what we want to set down. Or, you know, like you said, Grace, hold lovingly so that things can come into balance. And, and that balance helps us to awaken more. When Ajahn Sumedho was talking about you don't get rid of your personality, and you know, one of the things I hit upon last time we were together was about, you know, even fully awakened people we recognize as, as or are recognized as very highly attained, they still have a personality. They still may have um, things that they are still learning or that they want to understand about society or maybe that they don't care about um thank you um you know sort of you know it's like there's no greed hatred or delusion but there might be things that just are outside their experience and there's nothing wrong with that and we don't have to like get rid of those things but we do transcend it Holly? Wonderful discussion. I've been listening and thinking, looking back. I mean, I've been kind of riding between genders, norms my whole life. And my marriage with Gene, he's pretty feminine. I'm more masculine, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I wish that this conversation widely in the Buddhist community and our culture could become a non-issue. That's just a dream of mine. Mm -hmm. Because I've, I've had my struggles with being true to who I am in a culture where I have been at various times has been really different. But I'm a white woman. And that's almost as good, good as being a white man. And I live in a country that's uh, politically stable. And I haven't had to flee my country 
or have a dictator destroy it nearly but not quite uh, so i just want to just put that into our conversation of getting up to a higher level and going there are so many really big problems we have about kindness and cruelty and acceptance and marginalizing and demonizing and I so wish that how we love and how we present ourselves as humans could just be taken for what we want, whatever we want it to be. So that's my wish. Yeah, thank you, Neil. Um, yeah, so many things have come up for me in in this session, and um. I probably need to sit with them and before I could formulate a question or comment. But um, one question I wanted to ask about the sutta, um, delight and being have been destroyed. Um, and, you know, when you said, you know, there are, there are times when you enjoy being a woman and I, and, I guess I'm wondering about the use of the word delight, because delight seems to me like quite a lovely thing, a very spiritual thing. <laughs> so I'm wondering what the word in Pali is there. I mean, I could see if it said desire and being are destroyed, or craving and being are destroyed. But delight seems almost like a passive enjoyment of something that's wonderful. So yeah. I I don't want to descend into the semantic, but I just kind of question. Yeah, so I can, I, I don't have the poly in front of me, but there is um, a particular word that the Buddha used when he talked about delighting here and there, delighting in things is what causes us to want to come back for them. Um, you know, it's, it's really that kind of delight that keeps us caught in samsara. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't appreciate the beauty, you know, like I've said many times, if you read the verses of the enlightened monks, the Theragata, there's all this like, I love the forest, even from Mahakasapa, the, the toughest guy ever, you know, I love this mountain. I love this mountain, the refrain on his verses. I love this, you know what I'm saying? And the beauty of it and the call of the birds and all of that. You know, so it's kind of like, well, there are those there are those distinctions, those differences in the way we relate to things that either can and this is the point we need to observe. You know, is the way I'm relating to this causing more craving? Or is my way of relating to this lifting the heart? Mm -hmm. And that's really what makes the difference. And it might be the same exact experience working well for one person or not for another or well for me sometimes and not at others. So if my delight in being a nun or being a bhikkhuni or being a, 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 a woman or whatever it is, you know, if that's helping me let go and, you know, that's good. It's not good to look at that. <laughs> Thank you. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Neil. Adrian? Hi, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for this talk. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes. Good. Um, 
so I really liked the idea of this uh, male, female, or monastic option. But, <laughs> but then I was also thinking that in the Sangha, it seems that it is very, there's monks and, there, you know, males, and then there's females, and obviously there's the issues of um, bhikkhuni ordination and stuff. So are there things in place for people who are non who are non-binary who want to ordain? Because I know there are some monastics that identify as they, them, but it seems that probably there isn't that much support or understanding there. I think it's cooking. Mm. Right. <laughs> it's cooking. I think there's um, yeah, a growing understanding of how that might work, how that might be supported. And right now, I think the situation at some monasteries is, depending on your physical makeup, you go into one camp or the other. But your mental makeup might be whatever. So I don't, you know, it depends on the community and how comfortable they are with that. And, you know, we just see how things unfold. But I think the more we're able and willing to explore these areas, um, you know, just our ability to um support variety um, increases that's how it looks to me what do you think yeah i mean i think it'd be great i've talked to i don't know three or four maybe now um non-binary people who want to enter the sangha and i'm like maybe we need a non-binary sangha which <laughs> is a separate thing and they can match the rules for the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, however makes sense for their community, and just like go with it. <laughs> it's nice. It's not so restrictive, and then you don't have to worry about any of this stuff. It's good, I think. We'll see what happens. I'm not up for leading it, though. Just saying. <laughs> she knows how that works. You come up with an idea, or worse, you come up with a complaint, and then it's in your lap. <laughs> <laughs> I I really like that idea. Yeah. Good, because I know that um, at least the, the last two people I talked to recently are like really up for that. It sounds like the best kind of, I don't know, um, environment. Yeah, yeah, like the safest feeling, most understanding kind of environment for them. Like they're all on the same page and know each other's struggles well enough to Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.